Hi, it's Arjun. I'm going to try something different this time and go straight to the video, hoping by eliminating a production step or two, uh, I can produce these videos a little easier and more quickly. I want to focus this week on attracting capital back to traditional energy. I think this is critical. A healthy, um, growing, even if it's only modestly, profitable traditional energy sector, I think is a key underpinning to moving ultimately to a healthier energy evolution era from what is a messy energy transition quagmire. And there are many reasons of which many of you will be familiar with for why capital has been slow to come back to traditional energy, even as it's outperformed here uh, over the last year and a half. And that's going to be the focus of this video. It's been the focus of the last several super spike posts. Uh, as a quick reminder, my views are my own. Please, please do not blame any current or past affiliations for anything I have to say or do. Thank you. So the question I think on the minds of investors is, hey, energy has done well off its COVID trough. It is massively outperformed, especially this year when the market's been down. Why would I stick with energy? Why would I want to come back? There's all this uncertainty over energy transition and steps governments may take to try and address climate concerns, et cetera, et cetera. And we all know <laughs> or I think we know, isn't this a sector that historically, quote, destroys capital? The, the, these are the complaints uh, which do have some uh, basis in truth. I, I think I'd make a few points here. First, energy cycles end at peak trough capex, not trough. You actually need to go through the cycle. So cycle troughs, returns on capital improve, and ultimately that leads to more spending. We've had the first two steps. We've not had that third step. And I think I'll get into these companies are, I think, appropriately focused on maximizing, optimizing returns on capital. No one is calling. I'm not calling for them to go back to the battle days of kind of double digit growth, et cetera. Uh, but you do need some CapEx. And we are in a world that is still demanding plenty of crude oil and natural gas. Uh, you know, and therefore, uh, some CapEx cycle, I think, is going to happen. Now, something that this sector has not had to historically contend with is this notion of energy transition. What if future demand does moderate or roll over or peak or whatever the call is? And my comment would be, what transition? For 2030, I expect oil demand to be 107 million barrels a day, up 7 million barrels a day from the 100 that we had pre-COVID in 2019. And I would argue if I'm not correct on that, it will be because we didn't have the 7 million barrels a day of supply growth and prices had to rise high enough to spike out, uh, to destroy demand, if you will, to limit demand growth to available supply. Natural gas, I think there's probably a little bit more confidence that that is going to structurally grow for not just this decade, but many decades going forward. And I would note that even coal, which almost no one likes or wants or supports, that hasn't even peaked. This year, I think in 2022, we are on track for record global coal production uh, and demand. Uh, and so if coal hasn't even peaked, why are we so obsessed about oil demand peaking or what makes us think that's going to happen? And I've written about this disappointments, especially in fuel economy gains over, let's just call it um, the next decade to two decades is the biggest driver. I am ultimately uh, bullish on EVs, but that takes a long time to penetrate. And I think oil demand will prove to be much healthier and more resilient than consensus expects. These ROC cycles, as I've written extensively, they're decade plus in duration in each direction. Uh, go to the right side of my website, and I've got a, I think it's a five or six part return on capital series. These cycles are long term, 
and we are in year two of what I think will be a good 10 years. Companies, for the first time in my 30-year career, are competing on return on capital employed and dividends, and they're not. They're not competing on production growth. We have begged companies to do this for my entire career, or at least some of us has, have. It is finally happening. Now, not competing on production growth does not mean there should be always zero growth. We do need oil supply to ultimately match desired growth rates of demand, or you have a very unhealthy economic environment. There is a need for some CapEx, but the fact that companies are prioritizing returns on capital and dividends, it is a much healthier sector than I've ever seen. I think the last point I'd make is, I do think companies and investors should have a Super Bowl mindset. So there's no call here that right now today, people have to rush into the sector. In fact, this is not an investment blog or video series or anything of that nature. People need to make their own decisions uh, based on what's best for them. My point here is to talk about capital flows back into traditional energy. And those capital flows don't necessarily have to happen on whatever today's date is, November 26th or 27th or 28th. Perhaps there'll be a pullback uh, in, in the first quarter or next spring. And in fact, there's going to be lots of pullbacks and lots of rallies on the way. In a world where you're structurally tight spare capacity, inventories, and you don't have CapEx yet, you're going to be in an environment where you regularly bump up against demand destruction pricing. It may be crude oil, it could be gasoline, it could be diesel, it could be nat gas in Europe or other parts of the world. We don't know the exact source of it. When you bump up against that demand destruction pricing, you then tend to pull back. Supervol mindset, use it to think about capital allocation, both as a company and as an investor. So I'm going to go through a bunch of slides relatively quickly. Some of these y'all have seen before, but the overarching point I'd make is return on capital cycles for traditional energy are long-term in nature. 1991 to 2006 up, 2006 to 2020, the most recent period down. And now I think we're in year two of better returns. I've graphed this, the blue line is returns on capital on the right axis against real WTI oil prices, the black line on the left axis. You've heard me say this, oil prices and returns are not one-to-one. The delta, the differentiator, is all the actions companies take through the CapEx cycle. And the CapEx cycle has barely, barely started. Yes, returns are very high in 2022, uh, but we are, I think, very early in this next structural bull market phase. A chart that I know uh, many of you, especially in the investment community like, is this correlation uh, between return on capital and the S&P sector weighting. Uh, and you can see the lines somewhat go together. Uh, better returns have led to a better S&P weighting and vice versa. What is noteworthy today is energy is back to 5.5% of the S&P. Um, and returns on capital are going to be over 20%. And I think they could certainly stay at these kind of levels for the next several years on average, and certainly for the top two quartiles of companies that tend to kind of dominate the S&P weight in the first place. I think this 5% level is a really important trigger point for the broader investor community. When a sector is only 2% or less of the S&P, as an investor, you can say, who cares? I don't, stocks do well. I can miss it. Such a volatile sector, it's got bad historic performance, why bother? Once you're at 5%, the tracking error, in my opinion, becomes too large. And I think you can already see it in increased interest in this sector. It's not so much about chasing performance, as some might say. It's about recognizing you now have to get back to studying this sector. And after 15 years of downturn, all the institutional knowledge, 
all the analyst coverage, it has been decimated. There really are very few people that I think truly have a long-term history of understanding this sector. It is one of the reasons I thought there was an opportunity to start Super Spike, but it's not just me. There are others out there who do a great job covering this sector. But the, the quantity, the breadth of, let's just call it knowledgeable energy investors, analysts, uh, policy folk, whatever, it's in relatively short supply. I think there is a market to grow um, analyst firepower in this sector. A related chart to the previous one is this concept that energy tends to punch its weight in the S&P 500. That is a phrase I am stealing from, borrowing from my good friend and former colleague, David Costin of Goldman Sachs. It is his line and I love it. Um, over this, this goes back to 1990, you know, energy has been, I want to say 90%, 87% of the S&P uh, relative PE multiple. Uh, so it, it essentially punches its weight in the, S in, in the S&P. Right now, S Energy's S&P earnings weight is actually going to be over 10%, yet its market cap weight is only 5.5%. It is underpunching its weight so far. And again, I think that gap does close in the coming year or two. A few more graphs here. Value versus growth, also a very long-term cycle. This is a relative performance line. You can, most of you can tell it's from Bloomberg. It's graphing the Russell Value Index relative to the Russell Growth Index. When the line's going up, value's outperforming. When the line's going down, growth is underperforming. We are similar to the energy return on capital chart. Uh, 2020 marked a 15-year downturn for value. And maybe we're in kind of the first year and a half of an uptick of value over growth. But this idea that growth always outperforms is not true. It was true in the past 15 years. It has not always been true. These things are deeply cyclical, as is just about everything. Similar graph. This is uh, more narrowly energy versus tech. Actually, a little bit of a cleaner graph. And again, we all love tech. I love tech. Couldn't shoot this video without technology. Zoom, Teams, PowerPoint, whatever I'm using right now. I will say, though, uh, you couldn't even have the Zoom, the Teams, the PowerPoint without energy. Energy is core to tech and everything in life, as I've articulated in a whole bunch of notes. And this relationship, too, is deeply cyclical, and the cycles are 10 to 15 years in length. Again, very analogous to the return on capital graphs for energy. We're now in, I think, year two of just coming off of trough of energy versus tech. Exxon, uh, and I'm gonna focus on Exxon, not to make a stock specific call, this is definitely not a recommendation of Exxon, but simply because it has been the bellwether for the energy sector, uh, really going back to its founding as Standard Oil Company back in the late 1800s, uh, as I used to say at Goldman, this is the greatest company in the history of the world, even if they did fall on tougher times uh, in the previous decade. Exxon has been historically a top three S&P stock consistently, including, including in the 1990s when energy was generally out of favor and oil prices were going nowhere. It was not until this past decade that it started slipping in the rankings, falling to a very unfortunate low of the 38th ranked stock uh, at the end of 2020. It's back to top 10 status. And in my view, um, I think we can debate Will it be Exxon? Will it be Chevron? Will it be a different company that becomes the first trillion dollar traditional energy company, uh, excluding in America, excluding obviously Saudi Aramco, which is already there. But uh, 
there is no more important sector uh, in the world, in life, than energy. How can it only be 5.5% of the S&P 500? How can there be no trillion-dollar energy companies? That is coming. The final little bit I want to talk about, and it was in the focus of my second note on attracting capital back to the energy sector, is this notion of terminal value. And I think to make a long story very short, energy has done well in the last year and a half, but it is still being treated as if either the earnings are unsustainable or the returns are unsustainable, and or that the sector is going away at some point by the end of this decade. And by going away, it, it would be a challenge for any sector to start going into structural decline, even if it doesn't technically go to zero at the end of the period. And I'd say energy is being priced as if that terminal value is not worth anything, that the business that we are going to transition away from fossil fuels into other stuff. We may want to do that. There probably is a long enough time frame, which I might measure in 100-year or century-type increments where that might be possible, there's no chance we are transitioning away from fossil fuels either this decade or, frankly, in the next three decades. We might add new technologies, renewables, hydrogen, hopefully nuclear, uh, geothermal. There are many things we could list that I think will get added to the energy mix, and that's going to be a good thing. Diversifying our energy sources is a good thing. But this vitriol against one specific form of energy where we do need to address methane, and we do need to address negative externalities that come from too much CO2 emissions, so things like carbon capture, things like efficiency gains, actually having, God forbid, real miles per gallon improvement, having electric cars over time. All these things will help diversify our energy sources and allow us to use energy more efficiently. But the idea that this sector should get priced to be going away by 2030 or even 2040 is absurd. And it is a huge, huge opportunity for those that can think in longer term terms. So I think this has become a bit of a popular graph. Exxon's earnings, in the, and I'm going to again, I'm using Exxon as a proxy here, in the second quarter was uh, ahead of Microsoft's, just behind Apple's, yet its market cap is a fraction of these other companies. It has passed Netflix and the company formerly known as Facebook, and each have gone through some travails and challenges. Exxon's earnings swamps those companies. And frankly, it is on par with Apple and Microsoft. Um, tech products, I didn't think were destined to last for the rest of time either. Um, so I'm not sure why they get a terminal value credit that oil companies do not get. So another way to look at it, this is relative PE. Again, Exxon is a bellwether here. And I, I, I'm just going to look at Exxon's current relative PE of about 40% of the S&P to the prior super cycle. So let's take out the noise of their challenging last decade. And I'm, I'm going to do that. We can debate it if you want. And let's skip the 1990s. Let's just look at the period where we had high oil prices and we had rising returns on capital. Exxon traded um, in that time at you know, somewhere between 75 to 85% of the S&P 500. Today, it's at 40%. There is, and, and it's hard to see here, but I've looked at both the ramp in the super spike era, 2002 to 2006. I've looked at the deterioration period, 2011 to 14, the entirety of the period, 2002 to two. You can look at slice and dices a gazillion different ways. Um, Exxon's relative PE was uh, much closer to the S&P, still below you know, one to one, but let's just call it 75, 80% relative to the current 40%. The market is pricing in some notion that this sector is going away much sooner than I think it actually will be. And the final way I wanted to look at this was just free cash yield. So companies like Apple, if I just use them as a 
a bellwether has a 4% free cash yield. Exxon's free cash yield has improved from 15%. 15% free cash yield, which is where it was just a few months ago, it's now at about 12%. This is still implying that you're gonna return all the market cap of Exxon at a 12% free cash yield within the next eight years and at a 15% free cash flow within the next six years. These free cash flow metrics are very consistent with the idea that people either think we're at the peak and or they think the sector is going away within some less than decadal type time frame. And I don't think either is true. For sure, earnings could fall next year if all prices fall. Super vol environment, I have never said anything other than that. You are not going to end this cycle at something close to trough capex. So I will still end this video on a personal note. Here in the US, we of course are celebrating Thanksgiving and I would like to give my personal thanks overwhelmingly to the energy workers of the world in all sectors, oil, gas, solar, wind, nuclear, coal, and any other energy sector. Thank you. Thank you very much. We take your work for granted, we all do. Um, I might be excited about the returns on capital for the sector, but where does it come from? Who does it? Boards play a governance role. We need senior management to oversee and set strategy for a company, but it is the energy workers who provide us with everything. The ability for me to wear these clothes, to do this Zoom video, to have this microphone here, to have an iPhone, that is an, an infinite number of additional things. It is all thanks to the energy workers of the world. So on this Thanksgiving, thank you. Thank you for providing to all of us that which we cannot live without. Thank you.